It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The city regulator takes aim at the asset management industry. What does it mean for investors? PPI, why now might be the best time to put in a claim. And property funds, a year on from the trauma of frozen withdrawals. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm James Pickford, Deputy FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. The asset management industry, which constructs and runs the funds in which many of us invest, has come under attack this week in a report by the city regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority. The industry stands accused of delivering poor returns at the same time as it makes big profits from investors' money. There's not enough competition, the FCA says, and that's partly the result of unclear fees and charges which prevent consumers from easily comparing like for like. Madison Marriage, the FT's asset management correspondent, has been following the story and she's here to tell us about the impact of the FCA's latest pronouncement. Madison, thanks for joining us. Now, this is a very big report from the FCA covering a lot of ground. What exactly does it think is going wrong with the industry uh, as far as consumers are concerned? So one of the most damning conclusions the regulator has made, and it hinted at this back in November when it put out its interim report, but its final verdict is that there is a very unclear relationship between fees and performance. In other words, investors are paying a lot for funds, but not necessarily reaping the benefits. Sounds like something I've heard before. What sort of things does it want to see happen to put that situation right? That's a big question and one which the industry will be grappling with today because the regulator has said it wants to introduce certain reforms, but there's a lot that it's going to put out to consultation again. So the direction from here isn't entirely clear, but the kind of things at which it has indicated it would like to introduce relatively quickly would be more clarity around fee structures, making sure fund managers are being clear about their objectives, so what kind of benchmarks they're trying to beat. If they don't have a benchmark, they can't just say, look, we return 3% above cash. They have to actually say whether they beat the benchmark which they initially set out to investors or not. And they want platform providers to make sure that they're offering passive funds as well as active funds. And platform providers, they provide all sorts of funds on one, as you say, platform. Is that right? So they can come in different shapes. Most of them offer a range of funds, for instance, online. So you can pick from your Jupiters to your Schroders to your Aberdeens. But the criticism has been they're not putting forward enough passive funds, which tend to be cheaper. Of course. Now, the industry has been pretty resistant to all this, as as far as I, I can see. 
some people this morning are saying it's it, this FCA report is a damp squib. Others are saying it's fantastic news and it's going to make a hell of a lot of difference. What what's been the reaction and what is the position of the industry on on the, on this uh, these these reforms? Most fund managers are very careful in how they react to these things in the public domain. So, so far have said they welcome the proposals. The industry campaigners, so again, some fund managers, Daniel Godfrey at the People's Trust, Gina Miller at SCM Direct have said they think the regulator could have gone a lot further. And I think they are quite disappointed by its decision to put certain things out to consultation again. And there the big issue is this question of the all-in fee. So a lot of campaigners were hoping there would be a single clear fee, which would make it very obvious to investors exactly how much they would be paying in a given year. Instead, the regulator seems to be opting for a, a more lenient suggestion, which is a fee which includes an estimate of transaction costs. Transaction costs tend to eat into returns. So if that isn't included harshly in the all-inclusive fee, then investors could still be picking up the tab for transaction costs down the line, and they won't have any certainty over what those costs will be. Mm. And people will, of course, want to know what, whether these are these sort of loose recommendations from the FCA or are they you know, things that fund managers absolutely are now obliged to carry out? Nothing today is set in stone other than the fact that the regulator wants to carry out an investigation of the platform market. So most of its recommendations have to go out to consultation still, but there are some things which do look more concrete than others. And do we know what the timing of the consultation is? How, how, you know, after that period, the FCA will then will they announce this is this now has to happen? There are some things which the regulators given an indication of a timeline. So, okay. for instance, anyone who's invested in a pension fund, this would be relevant to them. It wants to decide whether or not to refer investment consultancies to the competition regulator, and it sets itself a deadline of September for that decision. The rest of it, still unclear, unfortunately. So you've mentioned, you've talked about all-in fees, and I suppose the other question that people will be wondering about, um, could their fees and charges come down as a result of this? Do you have any sense of, uh, of whether that can be answered? Partly guesswork. My sense is, yes, fees could come down as a result of this, and that's partly because the regulators taken quite a tough stance on things like box profits, which is an ugly term, but is essentially an additional source of income for managers can earn when investors buy and sell out of a fund. The regulator has made it quite clear it thinks that all of these profits should be returned to investors. So things like that could be beneficial. But like I said, a lot of this is still still needs to be consulted on. So the final, final verdict isn't quite here yet. Thanks very much there to Madison Marriage. You can read a Q&A on the impact of FCA's report for investors in FT Money later this week at ft.com slash money. Payment Protection Insurance, or PPI, is the mis-selling scandal that never seems to end. Just as banks think they've drawn a line under the issue, setting aside billions of pounds in compensation for aggrieved consumers, a new wave of people discovers they were wrongly sold these policies. To date, there have been a staggering 18 million complaints about PPI. Earlier this year, the regulator told banks their pain would end in August 2019, when it set a deadline by which PPI claims must be made. So given people have been claiming on PPI since 2011, can it really be worth digging out the paperwork to try and find out whether you could be in line for a payout? 
Lindsay Cook, our FT money mentor columnist, has been looking at how things have changed for PPI claimants over the past six years. And it seems there are good reasons for consumers now to consider asking themselves the PPI question. Lindsay, thanks for coming in. The deadline is still some way off, but there's no doubt it will focus the minds of anyone who has even the slightest suspicion they were being charged for PPI. Is it worth them looking into it and how should they go about it? Well, essentially, if you've had any loans, credit cards, mortgages, personal loans, store cards, secured loans, going back 30 years, and some small loans might have escaped your memory, but if you've got a credit card now and you've had it for 30 years, it could be that it had PPI attached in the early days, especially if you were poor in the early days and didn't pay off the balance every month. It's worth inquiring. And it's surprising how much information is there. And some claims people will say, I had a such and such card or I had such and such a loan in such and such a year. They don't expect you to have the documentation. They can often find you or have enough information from your address, etc., and set things in, in motion. It was sold to cover the cost of loans, payments, if people lost their job or were ill. But unfortunately, people didn't know they were being sold it. And often... They were self-employed, already retired, had a pre-existing medical condition. So even if they had known about it, they couldn't have claimed. So when I think about whether I had it on my credit card, I'm, I'm not sure how I would, how much do- documentation I have to, to be able to point to. You, you say you don't need very much. How much evidence is required when making a claim? You're likely to know who you had a loan with. You're likely yes. to know who your credit cards were with, even if you don't have an account with them anymore. Mm. You don't. Some people, they had a mortgage or a, a secured loan with, say, a building society that no longer exists. You can find who is the, the end owner of that PPI claim because, for example, Abbey National, National Provincial are now part of Santander and there are many, many others that are like that. Resolver.co.uk can help people find who the owner of the um, liability is now. Okay, and so the banks can't. You know, is, is is it harder now for the banks? You know, six years on, for the banks to turn around and say, "No, you don't have a claim." I'm not sure it's harder. Some of them have been called to task because the FCA, when it reported back in March, said some aren't doing enough. And the fact that the ombudsman has dealt with 1.7 million claims where people haven't got what they felt they should have done from their banks and other financial institutions, and in a good half of those, the ombudsman has found in favour of the customer. So it's not just the esoteric, really weird claims that have been bounced by the bank. So just because the bank says, or the building side or whoever says no first time, doesn't mean you are not going to get it. But if they say you never had an account with us, well, that probably means you didn't have an account with them. But if you had an account and they're arguing and saying, oh, but you knew you chose to have this policy, then you may be able to take it forward. Yes. So can I get any help with any of this? Help that doesn't entail me handing over a large chunk of my compensation um, to, say, a claims management company? The FCA has an online process, but also there's an organisation called Resolver.co.uk. They've got 180 different forms, essentially one for each of the sellers of this type of policy. They've designed the forms with the banks and other lenders to help people 
get through the process. It used to be you had to go through a nine-page paper form mm. from a bank. Now it's quite easy. It probably takes about 15 minutes to fill out the initial claim. Then whoever the um, person liable for the um, claim is, they'll send you another form and ask more questions. It's very important you speak in your own words and tell the truth. Some people put glib little phrases down that they've read somewhere else and probably got from claims management companies. Tell exactly what happened or as much as you know and you've got a better chance of making a claim. If you just put down a phrase that is a catch-all phrase, it sounds like you don't know about it and you're just on a fishing expedition. Yes. Just a, a small question, finally. Is the August 2019 date, is that a deadline for beginning a claim or do you have to have resolved it by then? No, it's for beginning a claim. But the industry is anticipating a bit of a rush from August this year because the two-year deadline is going to be announced. There's going to be a bit of publicity from the FCA. There'll be advertisements um, in various places. And already in March this year, when the FCA said, the deadline was going to be, Resolver got 75,000 claims going through. So every bit of publicity gets people thinking, oh, I'll look in the loft at my old paperwork or I'll look at... Cause I've got drawers and drawers of paperwork. <laughs> and, and to some extent, I'm only sad that I was so sensible with so many of my loans. Thank you very much. That was Lindsay Cook, an FD Money columnist. And you can read more about PPI claims in her Money Mentor column on ft.com slash money or in the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. Finally, it's been nearly a year since some of Britain's largest commercial property funds were forced to gate or freeze withdrawals by investors following the shock that the Brexit vote delivered to markets. Big names caught up in the reaction included Aviva, M&G and Standard Life. A year later, the gates have been opened. But how much damage has been done to the prospects for investing in open-ended property funds? Amy Williams, FT investment writer, has been looking into this asset class for FT money and joins us now. Amy, what actually happened to property funds last year and have they recovered? Last year, following Brexit, Retail investors suddenly all wanted their money back out of these property funds. So this exposed a bit of a problem with the fund structure. While these funds promise investors money back on a daily basis, they're actually investing the money in property. And obviously that takes sometimes months to sell. So faced with more demands for cash than they had in the funds, they had to stop trading to give them a bit of time to sell the properties and get some cash back to give them to investors. So several funds did this. Billions of pounds were just locked away uh, and investors couldn't have their cash back. Uh, so we're presumably not very happy. And just to take a step back, what's the appeal of property funds? What do they offer that other asset classes don't? I think there are a couple of things. The, the main thing is that they're an alternative asset class, so they're not correlated very strongly to bonds or equities, which are you know the bulk of most investors' portfolio otherwise. And financial advisors tell me that their clients quite like them because they seem quite easy to understand. You know, people people get property, they understand it. it seems like quite a tangible thing, and people like to own it. And so have the funds themselves made any changes in the way they run things since last year? Well, this is sort of all up in the air at the moment. So the FCA did put out a discussion paper and there has been a lot of soul searching and hand wringing since Brexit and since all those funds suspended. 
There are a couple of options on the table, and it might be that the regulator comes out and sort of asks funds to change the way they do things. So one option is that they continue as they are. People recognise that the funds might suspend, and that's that. Another option is that they give investors warning that they might have to wait a few months to get their money back. So this is called gating. This is what they do in Germany. So they sort of, they they say, you know, you can't have your money back on any given day. It'll take a bit longer. The other thing is that they lock money away for even longer. So they just say, well, you're giving us your money for 10 years. End of story. And that might work for pension funds, say, or people saving for their pension uh, or for their retirement. And that would mean that fund managers wouldn't have to worry about keeping large amounts of cash in the fund. Theoretically, this would boost their performance because, of course, cash does not return very much money. And if they could invest all that cash into property, they would get higher returns on the fund. Of course. So in order to remain liquid, they have to have cash uh, yes, in the fund. Yes, they have out. to hold cash buffers. And that was one of the things we saw in the run-up to Brexit is the funds were holding very high cash levels. And they still are holding very high cash levels. And that's not a good thing for your return. So... Uh, you know, are there worries generally that gating could happen again or actually just be a regular feature of this investment class? Yeah, completely. Um, a lot of people are saying that, you know, this this might happen again or this will happen again. Does it matter is the question? Uh, did, did retail investors mind very much? Again, that's not very clear. One theory is that actually it wasn't retail investors demanding all their money back. It was discretionary fund managers who were sort of trying to play the market a bit and take money out of open-ended funds and put it in different kinds of property funds instead to make greater returns. So that's one option. But yeah, we don't know. That was Amy Williams. Thank you very much. Amy's cover feature you can read online at ft.com slash money or in the weekend FT. Have you got a story you'd like the FT Money team to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at money at ft.com, tweet us at at FT Money or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. The Money Show will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. 